You probably already knew this when you did a search for the Westchester Church podcast. But just in case you're frolicking through the park and a coconut fell off a tree and cracked you off yo naga and you forgot ever having searched for it, you're listening to the West Chester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. We need to be very careful who we allow to speak into our lives as a teacher. That's where we were last week, as Jesus said, beware of false prophets. And where we left off last week in the book of 1 John was was the Holy Spirit saying through John, but whoever teaches you anything from the Word of God, examine it in the light of the Word of God. Put it to the test. Put them to the test. See if whether they and their message truly comes from God, or if it does not. And it cuts even closer than that, though. What we're going to see this morning in our text is that false prophets and false teachers, they're not the only ones who make the narrow road hard to live on and and hard to remain on. But more than anything else, we have a responsibility to also examine we ourselves. I find it interesting how, as, as the Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians, notice how he says this, he says, test yourselves. Don't just merely test anybody who is a teacher in the church, but, but also, especially, test yourselves in order to see if you yourself are in the faith. He says it again, and he says, examine your own self. And now Jesus, as he brings his Sermon on the Mount to a close, and as we come into Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 this morning, what we also see, though, mainly, is that there there are two very, very, very different kinds of, of Christ followers. Those who honor the will of God in their lives, and those who don't. And what Jesus says here, this this is by far one of the most polarizing, unpopular, haunting things that Jesus ever said. Where Jesus, he lifts up a veil and he gives us a glimpse into what the judgment scene one day is going to look like. And and more specifically, what, what, what that day of judgment is actually going to even sound like. And so let's come to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, is where we left off last week. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, or rather, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it just seems like, at least in my experiences in the churches that that I have known in my life, it, it just seems like we have a very odd relationship with this passage. 
how it just seems like in order to soothe ourselves of the severity dripping from these words, in order to soften its, its alarming words and its promise that he makes to us here, it seems like we have convinced ourselves that Jesus is speaking about everybody in the world except for, for us. There was a time in my life as a Christian when I was very young where I read this verse and I said, okay, this is the passage, this, this is that scripture verse where Jesus is speaking about all of those Baptist people. He's speaking about the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and all of these megachurch folks. You know, all these people who worship differently than we do. All of those individuals who have a sign out in front of, of their, their sanctuary, but it does not say Church of Christ on it. And yet as we look at this glimpse Jesus gives us through the veil of what the judgment scene is going to look like at the very end of the age and at the end of the time, we will see though that Jesus isn't just speaking about those guys. But just as much, Jesus is also speaking to me. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to everybody here. I mean, this passage is... It, you know, it's just the kind of stuff that would make people want to walk away from Jesus 2,000 years ago. Make people say, you know what, I, I don't have to listen to this anymore. And the very first of these wake-up calls is this. Is that we can call ourselves Christians and still not know Jesus. We can say that we're Christians, but we can still not know Jesus what Jesus says in the text is, Lord, Lord. What this word Lord means is master, that you are my, my God and my king, and, and you are the one who I will obey without question, no exceptions. And we just look at this and we wonder, I mean, what is there not to love about this? Because when we call him Lord in this way, what are we really expressing to him? We're saying, Lord, I am your son. I am your daughter and I belong to you and you belong to me. And yet Jesus is going back to, to his two main primary themes in the Sermon on the Mount, which are this. First of all, don't mimic scribes and Pharisees, but rather from now on, imitate me. And then his second major theme in the Sermon on the Mount is don't be a religious pretender. Transcend the religious convention by being a Sermon on the Mount kind, a follower of mine. And you know, as I really stop and consider it, you know, if, you know, if I want to, I mean, I can put on a uniform and I can look good wearing it even. Even though that is a debate, I know, but but, I mean, I can put on a uniform. And, I mean, I can have a basketball in my hand. I can dribble it, you know, shoot it, bounce the ball off my, my foot. Whoops. <laughs> that does not make me the starting point guard of the Philadelphia 76ers. And if it does, if that does make me the starting point guard of the 76ers, then our team is in deep, deep trouble. And we can't trust the process anymore. Long time ago, I, I had the luck of, of running into Wayne Gretzky, who is by far one of the greatest athletes to ever live. I was living 
there in Arizona at the time, and I was going to all the hockey games. He was the owner of the Arizona Coyotes, and and as luck would, would also have it, I, I had friends who had a luxury box there, and, and his just so happened to be right next door to Wayne Gretzky, and so I would meet you know, him all the time, maybe three or four times at least. And yet I would never consider Wayne Gretzky an actual friend of mine. I would never make that claim. I mean, yeah, I got his autograph. I spent roughly 15 seconds with him 18 years ago. But that does not mean that I know Wayne Gretzky or that Wayne Gretzky knows me. That guy was just an acquaintance. I think about how, especially on social media these days, a few years ago I got to wondering where, where I looked at my so-called friend list. And Facebook told me that I had 1,250 friends. And I thought, that does not sound right to me because, I mean, how many of these people do I actually know in real life? 1,250 people, I, I roughly knew maybe six or seven of them per se. And I have narrowed that, that list down to about 367. And, and, you know, that still seems way too high for me. But just because those people have been on my friend list does not mean that I actually knew every single one of those people personally. And yet as it occurs to me, though, in order for us to, to truly know somebody and to be known by, by also them, I mean, you've got to live with that person sometimes. You, or maybe you have to work with that person for a long duration of time. You've got to spend time with them. It's been my experience in the church how it's always been the times where I've gone inside a person's house where I really started getting to know who this person actually is, and vice versa as well. You know, there have been all kinds of women who have been married to a man for 50 years, and they, they still look at that guy and say, I don't even know who you are. I mean, who did I marry? I mean, I don't even know who you are anymore. And what we see in all of this is that merely saying something does not make it so. Professing does not make us followers of Jesus Christ. But rather what we see, what we learn from Jesus here in Matthew 7, is that it's not those who are claiming to know Jesus, but rather it's those he knows who know him. That makes all the difference in the world. This Jesus who says three different times in one chapter that if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. In other words, show me. Don't just claim and say that you are a follower of mine. Show me, obey me, live your, your life for me, he says. Because until our walk with Jesus becomes that, it's just words, isn't it? And so that is our very first wake-up call here in our text. But, but also what we see is this. Is that we, we can confess that Jesus is God. And yet still deny His Lordship. We can claim, we can confess that Jesus is God. And yet still deny His Lordship to this world. Because, again, what he says here is Lord, Lord. In other words, God, God, Master, Master, King, King, Ruler, Ruler. And we look at this and we say, well, well how could this possibly be, be wrong in the eyes of Jesus? 
This is a person who is calling on the name of the Lord here. I mean, we remember how the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans to, to all of these individuals at the church of Rome who have been baptized. He says that whoever confesses with his mouth Jesus is Lord, whoever believes in his heart that, that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Elsewhere in Scripture, we, we're also given yet another glimpse through that veil of that judgment scene where it says that, that at that time, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess, Lord, Lord, God, God, Master, Master, King, King, you, you are the Messiah. You are God. And so how could this possibly be a bad thing? Well, Jesus is speaking to an audience who have a very long and storied history where they had this attitude so often that, that as long as we revert to all of this religious words and all of this religious phrasing and we go to all, all of, the, all of our, our worship ceremonies, then you know what? God's going to be good with us. Just because we go to those worship assemblies means that, that automatically God is pleased with us and that we're doing His will. And yet God has never been able to be tricked in that way. I mean, God always knows exactly what, what is in the human heart. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? I think about a rabbi whose name is Rabbi Abraham um, Heschel. And in the 1960s, he went on a march with Martin Luther King Jr. in Alabama began um, there, um, I believe it was um, in Selma, Alabama, walked all the way into Montgomery, Alabama. And there had been a reporter who had asked him, Rabbi Heschel, at any point while you were at Selma, did you stop and pray? And I love his response. It, it is a beautiful response where he said that, that I prayed with my feet. In other words, he didn't even say a single word. He didn't make, make one single sound, but, but he was still praying. He says that my very actions were a living prayer. And I love that attitude because what, what that expresses to, to us this morning is that, yes, we need to be confessing Jesus is Lord. Yes, we need to be singing, praying, finding our very identity in Jesus Christ. But more than anything, we need to be praying with our feet. We need to be praising Jesus Christ with our very lives on a daily basis. And this concept of Lord, Lord has always been in the music scene especially where one of my favorite songs ever composed is by George Harrison of the Beatles and beautiful song, My Sweet Lord. I really want to see you. I really want to be with you, but it takes so long to do that. And he just keeps saying, my sweet Lord, my sweet Lord. Maybe a couple months, months back, we, we had an album called Jesus is King by, by Kanye. And there's been um, all kinds of, of responses about this in the church. Oh, just, just, just a ploy. You know, he, he, um, um, is pandering in order to make millions of dollars. But you know what, Matthew 7, 1, I'm not going to judge him that quickly. I think it's an, an incredible thing that we have millions of people who never, ever would, would have given a preacher three seconds of their time who are excited about this album. This is a great thing, I believe. 
And yet, regardless of if it's Kanye West or, or if it's George Harrison or if it's you or, or if it's me, when, when we say, Lord, Lord, in this world, this world is going to be watching exactly how we live. They're going to be watching very closely how we respond when, when other people treat us as if we were garbage. They're going to be looking very closely to see where our treasures are, whether in heaven or on the earth. They're going to be looking very closely at our lives, whether or not we have peace and joy in a world of violence and malice. And yet notice, though, as Jesus says this, Jesus is not at all impressed by words or by speech or by lip service. And yet rather what we know about Jesus is that what yanks on every string in his heart is when what is burning in our heart is that desire, as Jerry read to us, that, that God put me in this world not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you know, this is incredible, though, because not only is it just more than, than merely words that we say, and yet it's even more than action itself. You see, our next wake-up call is that we can even be devoutly religious and yet still dishonor God. We can be the most devoutly religious people on the face of the earth while dishonoring God. And again, we would look at this and we would think, you know, how, I mean, how could religion ever be a bad thing? I think about in the book of James how he says on at least two occasions, he says in chapter 1, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Or in chapter 2, he says in verse 17 that, that even so, faith if it has no works... That faith is dead because it is all alone by itself. I mean, action is absolutely necessary for us. And notice what these people are saying to him. Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. Lord, Lord, Master, Master, I did many, many works and beautiful things in your name. And what is so sobering about this and chilling even is that notice these are not drunks in the bar Jesus is quoting here. These are not prostitutes in whorehouses. But rather, these are preachers who Jesus is quoting here. These are Christian missionaries who have spent 50 years on a foreign field spreading the gospel. These are elders, and these are preacher wives, and these are elder wives. These are church people who look just exactly like us this morning. And what is Jesus saying to them? I think a modern way of expressing this might be something like this. Lord, Lord, look at all of the sermons that I have preached. Lord, Lord, I never once missed one Sunday morning church service. Lord, Lord, I baptized 47 people. What, what are you talking about? Lord, Lord, I sing How Great Thou Art 2,955 times. And Jesus is just standing there looking at him like, who are you? It would be like if we went to, to a supermarket this afternoon and we walked up to, to um, a woman who we never met in our lives and we started acting like we were 
her closest friend in the world, she would just look at us like we're nuts. Like, I don't know who you are. I mean, who are you? Why are you talking to me? And you see, the Bible is full of cautionary tales of tragic figures who did heavenly things with hellish hearts. I mean, who did more religious acts than the Pharisees and the Sadducees? I mean, they would pray the most eloquent, beautiful prayers that anyone had ever heard, fasted twice a week, gave enormous sums of money to the poor. And yet we know, though, that they didn't really have a relationship with God or with the truth. In fact, as they are persecuting Jesus and later on his church, as they crucified Jesus and tried to crucify his church, I mean, they thought that they were offering God a service. They thought they were defending God and defending the truth. And yet it's so tragic, though, because what they were actually fighting for so dogmatically was not for the truth or for God, but what they had fought for so stubbornly was for this religious empire they had constructed in their own image. A religious empire which, by the way, was making them a lot of money and fame and popularity in many circles. And you know what, I, I was at a crossroads in my Christian life not that long ago, maybe three or four years ago, where I was looking at what kind of Christian that I was, and what, what, what really hit me in this way is that my relationship for so long was not with Jesus Christ, but it was with all of these unwritten rules that I was imposing on, on everybody else in Christendom. I've been to a number of churches where it could have been said that, do you really walk with Jesus? Do you really know Jesus and have a relationship with him? And a lot of times what the answer was is, your relationship is not with Jesus. It's with all of these unwritten rules. It's with 1950s American business ethics and philosophy that you have somehow brought into the church and are holding over everybody's heads as the oracles of God. I mean, they were very religious, but their religiousness was not saving them, was it? I think about the church at Ephesus, as Jesus writes them in Revelation, he says, notice this, he says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate evil men. And notice this, where he says, and you put to the test those who call themselves to be apostles and are not. And you found them to be false. I mean, so far, this is exactly what Jesus has said that, that we need to be doing. He says that you, you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. And we read the first half of this and we think, man, this is the kind of church we want to be like right here. Oh, but Jesus has a but for them. But I have this against you, he says. He says that you have lost what was most important all along, and that is a childlike faith in me? Is that a childlike love in, in my name and for me in the church and for one another? You see, they lost the most important thing of all, even with all of these great things they were doing. I think about the Israelites in the book of Jeremiah. There um, in Jeremiah 7, I mean, man, this is an intense scene as God has Jeremiah stand at the gate before anybody goes inside the temple. 
And he says this, he says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He goes on and he says, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. And so will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that, that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say that we are delivered and that we are the people of the living God. I mean, these were... Israelites who, who were just convinced that, that just because they had Hebrew blood, that just because they were taking time out of their own busy lives to come to a worship service, that just because they were in that, or rather physically in that building, that that, that meant that they were doing God's will. God was looking at them and he says that, you know what, I'm not pleased at all. Because here is what actually matters, O Israel. I want your very lives to be a worship service in my name. And yet the way that they have been operating is that, you know what? It's exactly how it is in the world today, by the way. It's live any way that you want to believe whatever you want to believe. And once you, you cross the, the state lines of the temple or of the church building sanctuary, then that automatically absolves you and means God is pleased with us. And I mean, we could just as easily say, well, we're the church of Christ. We're the church of Christ. We're the church of Christ. We break bread properly. We do all things decency and in order. I mean, we even have a sign out in front of our worship building that says, the Church of Christ meets here. We have communion every single week. I mean, we even have an altar that says, this do in remembrance of me. And we can walk away feeling very proud of ourselves, saying, we're the Lord's people, we're the Lord's people, we're the Lord's people. And yet, we're not the Lord's people. If doing God's will is not the reason why we are living from day to day. See, it's incredible that their worship had been rejected, even though they were going through all of these religious customs and motions. They were rejected even though they had kept all of the right festival days. And that's because they, had, they rather had emphasized attendance more than attitude. Ritual above righteousness, ceremony above conviction, the externals above the internal. And I think about the Apostle Paul as he stands on Mars Hill and he says, Men, I have observed that, that in all ways, all manners, you are very religious people. And yet you need something more than being religious people. You need Jesus Christ. And I think that he could just as easily stand here before me and before much of the American church and say that, that I can see that you are very religious in all ways. You have communion cloths and, and a doily on your communion table. But you need something more than that. You need Jesus Christ to move in right here. There is a television show called The Good Place, and after season one, there is this bombshell that they drop on a plot twist where the whole season, they, they have thought, we are in heaven. 
only to discover, shockingly, all that time they had actually been living in hell. And I think it can be like this oftentimes on this narrow road Jesus speaks about, where a lot of people think that they're on that narrow road. A man can quote every verse in the Word of God, but, but he's got a heart full of hate and a heart full of anger. That, that man is not on the narrow road, brothers and sisters. That is not the fruits of the Spirit. That is the works of the flesh. Another guy goes around wagging a finger in everybody's eyes, saying you got to believe, you got to confess, you got to repent, you got to be baptized, all true things. But he's doing it in a very self-righteous manner. That's not Jesus. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. Another person has a relationship, but it's with church politics and with unwritten Church of Christ rules. And not a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is not the narrow road Jesus is inviting us to follow him onto. That is a very broad and popular road. And so really, it all comes down to this. What are we practicing? Notice how Jesus says very, very sad words, words that we do not want to hear him hear. You hear me? Where he says, I never knew you. I remember Lynn, he, he um, had told a story about how his father had, had Alzheimer's in his last couple of months of his life. It got really bad. And Lynn walks into his hospital room and he looks at him. He does not recognize his own son. Something that, that shatters his heart to this day. Imagine Jesus saying that to us. He says, depart from me. Notice, you who practice. I want to zero in on that word practice. You who practice lawlessness. This is not a harsh, capricious God who is judging in all kinds of unfair ways. But rather, what we need to understand is that these are people who have claimed loudly, Lord, Lord, we are the people of God, who have been secretly living in rebellion to his lordship until their very death. And yet, you know what? There is only one kind of Christ follower. That's what Jesus says in verse 24. Where he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, again, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You might have a translation and it might say, whoever hears these words and puts them into practice. He says, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not practice them We'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat up against that house and it fell. And he says, notice how he says, and great was its fall. You see, the only ones who Jesus knows are the ones who put into practice Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And yet practice is not... A, a very popular thing in the world, is it? It's easy to, to, to talk about. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise, but we in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about 
practice. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. And really the thing is this. It's that it's not so much what we do on a church pew in a cathedral on Sunday morning. As much as who we are on Monday morning at home. Or Friday afternoon in the office. Or Friday night in the city. Because that is who we truly are. That is the person who Jesus sees when he says either I know you or I do not know you. And so what we need to do is bring the Sunday morning you and the Sunday morning me and and start taking those people home with us and into the office with us. Everywhere that we go, every day that we live, bring the Sunday morning us in those places. Because as Jesus says, it's only those who do the will of my Father. See, this is a return to where he explains how we are to pray. Matthew 6 and verse 10 where he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as well as it is in heaven. So as we bring this to a close this morning, I want to close and I want to leave us with the words of the Apostle Paul where he says, there in the book of Philippians, I want to know Christ. See, this is remarkable because this is the Apostle Paul speaking. You know, the guy who wrote half of the New Testament, the guy who saw Jesus Christ, who served him as his apostle, that guy is saying, yeah, I would like to actually know Jesus. (laughs) And it isn't incredible, though, that Jesus doesn't have to remain an acquaintance to us any longer. But we can actually know Jesus. But remember, the only way that we can actually know somebody is we've got to live with them. We've got to work with them. We've got to actually spend time with them outside of these walls. And so what what I want to invite us to in the days ahead is just two quick things. We've got to go to practice. And I love this picture long ago as Larry Bird has just just played a nine-month season. And he's deep in the playoffs and his team lost late into the playoffs. And yet two hours after the game, what is he doing? He's practicing until midnight. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shots. And is it any wonder why he is as legendary as, as he was? You see, what we need to do is we need to have that kind of zeal as it pertains to, to, to being Sermon on the Mount kind of Christians. That we practice kindness and that we practice having forgiveness towards others. That we practice gentleness. Lastly, what I want to invite us to is, you know, we we hear a phrase every Christmas that we've got to put Christ back in Christmas. And that's nice. I mean, that's cute. It's fun. And yet I think what he would much rather see out of us and, and out of his American church, his church everywhere, is let's put the Christ back in Christians. How does that sound? Let's put the Christ back in Christians. You see, the irony of the Sermon on the Mount is not only are we all all to shine as lights in the world, but but especially we are to, to really stick out 
amongst our religious convention. See, what this invitation is, is you have heard what our American church convention has said all of these years. But now Jesus is saying, but now I tell you, transcend that American business religious convention. Be a Sermon on the Mount kind of Christian. You see, we honor God's will in our lives. When confession and knowledge and love and faithfulness all come together in one heart within us. And so his invitation to this this morning. As Jesus says simply and yet profoundly in Luke chapter 18. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? Will he find this, as he says elsewhere, doing, living faithfully for him when he comes? My brothers and sisters and friends, may we be those very rare kinds and breeds of people whose very lives and the way that we treat other people and the way that we love each other in the world let that be a proclamation to this world, loudly, though silently. Lord, Lord, when we do this, our knees are bowed and our tongues are confessing Jesus is Lord in this life and in the age in which to come.